Welcome to the Take 92 podcast. This is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today I've got a friend of mine, a 20-year veteran of the rap scene. Goes by the name Illogic. Now, Illogic's been around. I've seen him tour with Blueprint and Idea. We're going to talk about what it's like, the creative process, being on the road as a DIY artist, and his new album, Lucid Logic. We're going to premiere a brand new song at the end of the episode. Stay tuned. First of all, thank you for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. Just came straight from your own podcast, Super Duty Tough Work with Blueprint. Yes, sir. How's that show been going? It's been going really well. I mean, we we have fun. You know, I mean, we we basically have the conversations that we normally have in the tour van. You know what I'm saying? On the podcast. I mean... We talk about so many different issues and just whatever really is on our mind. It's cool to have your own platform to where, you know, you can talk about whatever, however, and we're just having fun with it. Yeah, I think it's an interesting show because a lot of them that I listen to tend to be long form interviews like this. But there's a couple where you you hear hosts that have this chemistry and can just riff on any subject. Right. I I think it's cool listening to you guys. You know, you have a lot of years behind you. Right. In the industry. And so when you pull up a, a topic, even if it's some dumb shit that's in the news or whatever about, about another artist, you can actually make something of substance out of it. You know, like, like you guys said, it's, it's edutainment. You know, it's, it's the, the BDP model kind of for podcasts. Right. I mean, and it's, and, and like I said, we have these conversations all the time, just, you know, between each other. So, you know, we thought it would be something cool to, you know, record them and, you know, have people hear the conversations that we have regularly. And I mean, me and print, we go back almost 20 years at this point. So, you know, I mean, we're, we're like brothers. Yeah, it's awesome. And it it comes through. I, I listened to the beginnings when he was doing them with groove as well. And, uh, it's always been a show I like. So if you're listening to this show, check out Super Duty Tough Work. Yes, please. Yeah, one of my favorites for sure. Thanks. I was just kind of going back through your, uh, some of your music that I own. I can't speak on all of it. I don't have all of it, but I have, I have probably half a dozen projects that you've done. The one that really made me start digging into your catalog a little bit was the feature you did with print on the song called Pain. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was just a great example of you as a very thoughtful writer. You right. know, I appreciate that it's um, you try to be original with every single line and have some substance with every single line like that. Yeah, keeps me guessing, you know. But uh, I'm cu- I'm curious as to um, how you got started. I know that your your first record came out in the late '90s, but what what got you interested in making music in the first place? Well, I mean, I was always I was always into music. I mean, growing up, my mom, you know, played music all the time, whether it was, you know, some rock and roll or some old soul music or, you know, just on Saturdays when we clean the house and things like that. Um, so, I mean, I always was a fan of music because my, my mother was a fan of music and my grandmother sung in church and, you know, all of that. And I sung in the choir in church and um, also played the saxophone in middle school. So I was always kind of you know, driven um, into the music thing. And I, you know, I just love music. I was huge, a huge Prince fan, um, huge Michael Jackson fan, as a lot of us were probably when we were young. And just growing up, you know, in the in the late 80s, nine, in 90s, 
because I love writing, I love poems, I would write poems and things like that when I was younger. And just hearing hip hop and hearing that, you know, you could do so many more things with the English language really, really, really intrigued me. So, you know, I just started turning my poems into raps and putting the, you know, recording on my, I had a little karaoke machine and I would go to the, go to the mall and I would steal a lot of like, you know, cassette singles that had the instrumentals on them. And yeah. I would, you know, I would freestyle or I would write to those instrumentals um, just practicing, you know, and I didn't really get into recording my own stuff over original production until high school. Just the love of words really got me, you know, like hip, that's where hip hop like got me because with R&B music and other types of music with words, the verses usually are so short. You know, there's not they say a lot with so little. And with hip hop, it's nothing but words for the most part, you know, so and it just my love for the English language, you know, just made me dive in. I appreciate that a lot because when I was. You know, I, I had some of the, you know, Run DMC, Beastie Boys, Sugar Hill. Like, I had some of the old old stuff. But really, when I started to hear things that challenged my perception of rap music, when I started to hear some things that were really some great long-form storytelling, I started to realize this is the only kind of music when that can really happen right you know where you can go that deep and and yeah first rhyme i ever wrote was about like just the freedom of exploring the words in comparison to the rock music that i had been making growing up you know uh, a punk song's only a minute and a half long so there's <laughs> right. only so much so much you can say you know i that that was that was something really fascinating to me as well do, do you remember any artists that that were kind of a, a gateway for you, like some something that really caught your attention and made you want to dig deeper? Uh, well, really early, um, listening to X-Clan, listening to, you know, um, P-Rock and Seal Smooth, Nice and Smooth. Um, nice and Smooth really, really, really got me with the, with the words because um, I can't think of which rapper it is, but one of them, he always used really big words in his rhymes. And it, was, it wasn't a lot of people that did that. Um, and that made sense. Yeah. That always like made me like really like, oh, so you can do that, you know what I'm saying, like you could do that too, you know, and um, just listening to public enemy and you know all of the greats you know coming up, but what really got me was when I was I would say probably thirteen when ninety three till infinity came out, yeah, and hearing the way that souls of mischief bent those words over those beats really did something to me. You know, it really made me really dive deeper into my, you know, my bag of tricks when it came to the lyrics. Cause I, I mean, I always had fun with styles and things like that. Just, you know, listening to organized confusion and, um, you know, early freestyle fellowship and things like that. But when 93 till infinity came out, it really made me see that you can be intelligent. You can make good songs you can say something and you can have fun with it at the same time. And they really, really were like the ones that really got me diving deep in. And then when AC Alone came out in 95 with All Boss Don't Bounce, like that completely yeah. blew my mind. You know, that album and then Book of Human Language was another record that made me step my game up, you know. So, I mean, a lot of the West Coast artists, because I'm, I'm, 
I'm more of a head as far as the West Coast goes, especially with the underground than I am, you know, anything else. And because of the styles mainly and the use of the language and the way that words are used and bent over the lyric, over the beats, just it just does something to me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, when when you find that thing that shatters your preconception. Right. Of of what of what was possible, right? You know, and and in a way, you can start to see yourself in there. I think that's uh, that's a really inspiring time. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I used to I used to take like certain artists' raps that I you know really enjoyed, and I would write my own words in their style. So I would follow you know their style to it too. I, I did it with Pharaoh Monch a lot, actually. Nice. And I would just you know like listen to their their lyrics and then put my own words to it and memorize those rhymes in their patterns, just learning how to flip words and, you know, do things like my favorite artists did. And of course, then putting it into my own bag of and mixing it up and all the styles that I learned. But that was one of the little exercises that I used to do when I was younger. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I was, I was actually starting to notice a, a pattern and the more of these interviews that I do, you know, I'll always see certain parallels, between myself and who I'm, I'm speaking with in our, in our musical journeys, respectively. But something I've started to notice is, is particularly with rappers, there's a, an early period of kind of imitation to an extent, you know, where, you're, where you're, you're kind of wearing your influences on your sleeve and you're trying to figure it out. Right. And then once you get a, a little bit more confidence, then it's almost like you overdo it and you try to prove yourself, <laughs> right, you know, right. and then... And then you reel it back in a little bit, and that's kind of when you find your voice. Like, I, I see that thread with a lot of people that I talk to. And, and, and you probably get this at, at, at shows where somebody's opening up the show, and you're like, oh, this guy's pretty good. I can tell you listen to a lot of Ice-T, though. You know, he's like, yeah. Right. You know, or I, I used to get that in my early years, you know. They'd, they'd be like, oh, you, you guys are great. Illusionists sound like, you know, Beastie Boys, but crazier. I'm like, yeah, that's great, but, like, I was really happy when I outgrew the comparisons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean and it's but the thing is like it's it's difficult to outgrow the comparisons completely because those are your foundations. You know, those are the, totally. those are the people that got you into it and helped you become the artist that you are. So it's very difficult for me to, you know, necessarily get out of some of the Pharaoh Monch kind of tongue flipping kind of things. It it's difficult to get out of you know, some of the influences that I've had, especially with the way that I storytell and the way that I put things together that influenced me, you know, from um, AC alone. So it's 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 not a bad thing necessarily. The bad thing is when you, you know, continue to copy and not try to develop who you are. But, you know, your influences are always going to shine just because that's your foundation. That's where you start from. So there's no way to really, you know, you don't stop looking like your parents. The older you get, you start looking more like them, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Well, totally. I, I guess I just mean that you, you over time, or they begin to reveal themselves in less literal ways, I guess I should say. Yeah, you know, definitely that. That, that you know, we've learned from, from the ways to tell stories or the ways to put words together or whatever, but you don't necessarily um, find yourself doing a flow they would have done or a pattern they would have done. It's more like just applying that to your toolbox, you know? Right, 
Right. Definitely. Because you grow and evolve and you have your own experiences and, you know, you come up with your own styles and your own things that you mix into that little gumbo that you have of all of your influences. And, you know, some raps will sound more like some of your influences. Some of them will sound like no one. You know, they'll be completely in all you. But, you know, it's always it's always fun just to 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 experiment with things like that. Yeah, definitely. And um, one thing I notice about your body of work as a whole is that you tend to gravitate towards one producer f- for a full album, whereas a lot of folks will mix it up, take beats as they come to them or whatever, and just kind of compile a, a record. And for the most part, from what I've seen with you, is that you know, you'll do a couple albums with Blueprint, a couple with Blockhead, a couple with Intellectual, and you know now you're doing the... the lucid logic project and i i don't know if it's the same for you but i find when i start working with someone else it kind of challenges me to write another way oh yeah definitely i mean it it definitely does different different producers bring different things out of you i mean as with the work that you have heard i'm sure you can definitely tell when i do an album with blueprint it's not gonna sound it's not gonna at least I'm not going to sound like, you know, the same over Ill Poetics production or Ill Intellectuals yeah. production or, you know, anything like that, because that's the whole reason that I like doing albums with different producers. And also is the reason why I like to focus on one producer, because I like to build a relationship throughout the process of creating an album, because I feel like it's almost like a child, you know, like you don't have you know five different moms for one baby you know you have it's a man and a woman and they create that child and that child is you know a precious thing and I feel like all of my albums to me are like my little children you know and I want to have that one other partner to build with and create with and you know the more that I build the more that we do together you know the more that we talk the more that we we get to know each other, the better music we make, because then they get a better idea of the type of sound that I'm looking for. Or I get a better idea of, you know, just the type of music that they make. And it allows me and challenges me to, you know, go beyond myself a little bit. I mean, if you um, you've listened to the Lucid Logic Project at this point, right? Have you listened to it? Yeah, I listened to it today. OK, like so, I mean, even hearing that record compared to any other record that I've done. The production's definitely completely different than anything I've ever done. And even the style of my writing, the, you know, the patterns that I'm using, a lot of things are very different from anything that I've ever done. And I I always look for that in a producer that, you know, they're going to challenge me and make me step outside of my comfort zone sometimes a little bit and just make me a better MC, you know, all, all you know, at, at the end of the day. So that's what I always look for. Yeah, one thing I thought was really interesting about the um the the last couple projects is that they're so different from from what you're doing here with what you were doing, you know, even just a year or two ago with Intellectual is, you know, this is a a much more I feel like modern production style and you're actually trading verses and stuff which uh I haven't seen you do outside of like Greenhouse right. for the most part. Right versus the very minimalist almost spiritual quality of 
you know, the last couple records with Intellectual, where there's definitely a higher energy here. There's a lot more going on. Yeah, it was it was definitely a surprise when I when I turned it on. Yeah, I mean, and that's and that's what I try to do. Like one of the things that I've always thought of as an artist is that, you know, one of the things that I hate about other artists is that they sound the same on every record. Every record you put in sounds like the last record. You know, they they do the same yeah. styles. There there's no voice inflection. There's no fun. There's no experimentation. And I've always wanted to make the next record not sound like the last record. I mean, even the three records that I did with Blueprint, none of them sound the same. And, you know, yeah. I always want to try to find a new style and a new a new way to use my voice um, over the production that I'm on. I never want, you know, to get redundant. I want my fans to always, you know, have something fresh when they listen and listen to me and not know what to expect, really, you know, because I'm also working on my first solo produced album and it's going to sound completely different than anything I've ever done. You know, I'm, I'm working on an instrumental project that I'm um, doing as well. And it it won't sound like any of the beats that I've ever rapped over or used for anything. So I, I always try to push the envelope a little bit and push myself, you know, to become the best me that I can, but not repeat myself at all. That's kind of the, the, the ultimate challenge for an artist is to and and when you say that you intend that the fans get something new and different every time. You know, with that in mind, there's always a, a fine line that fans want you to do the same thing that they love, but they also, if you know, if you deliver that exactly, they'll be like, "Ah, oh, this sounds like the old shit." You know, and they want you to grow and change. Uh, but if you do it too far, then there's backlash for that too. And so, I feel like being a, a creative person is always kind of a, a balance of you know, you find what the next direction is that excites you and hope that it's you know similar enough that your fans are still feeling it but you're different enough that it's still challenging and exciting to to write the project right. you know right and ironically the lucid logic project and um a man who thinks with his own mind i was writing both of those simultaneously so i wrote them both like both of those albums were written pretty much at the same time so it's 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 interesting because it was a it was some days I would feel, you know, like writing to intellectuals beats. Some days, you know, I'd be in a different mindset and write to lucid optics beats. So and, it, and I I don't know how I did it necessarily, <laughs> but it was you know, it was just one of those times that I was really just in a good a good place, you know, to where I could I could maneuver and my mind was you know, split enough to where I could, I could do both. And it was fun. It was definitely fun um, to, to do that. Yeah. I, I find that really helpful. Honestly, if, if I have, let's say uh, a solo rap project I'm working on and then maybe a group rap project I'm working on and then maybe a different kind of music or maybe some mixes that I got hired to do or something. So that way, if I'm feeling creative and I come out and I put on the beat for a song I need to finish and you know maybe I'm not quite feeling it or maybe it's not coming out quite as developed as I'd like I'll put that on the back burner I'll switch gears and then I'll find myself excited by this other thing whereas otherwise if I didn't have multiple outlets you know I might find myself 
forcing a thing or just going, well, it's not going to happen today. Right. And, and walking away. Right. You know, so I, I always find it really fulfilling to try to do multiple things at once because it's, uh, like you said, you never feel the same way every day you know you don't necessarily want to write the same record every day in the same way that you wouldn't want to listen to the same record every day exactly 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 well let's um go back to your to your timeline so you were saying um you know around around high school age you you started uh writing your own original songs and um how long in between there and and when you're actually hooking up with with print and making an album what's 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 that gap like uh, well, I was when I first started doing more original stuff is when I was in um, a group called Third Eye. The producer was um, a guy named Rashad Thomas. He actually is making a pretty good name for himself right now. Uh, he produces for Stali, um, who is one of um, he's on Maybach Music. Um, he produced for many, many other people. And he also does R&B, too. He's an R&B singer. So I was in a group with them, and we, we started writing songs together and doing shows. And that was around the first time, you know, in more in high school, when I really started doing shows and really got bit by the bug, you know, got bit by the, you know, doing the shows and, you know, all of that stuff. And really, people started noticing who I was. Um, and then, you know, up through high school, we, you know, we continued to do things together and we ended up falling out. And once I went to college, when I was 18, I went to the University of Cincinnati and ironically, Blueprint lived there. Uh, well, let me backtrack a little bit. When I was in high school, um, I used to organize battles at lunchtime. Oh, nice. Yeah. We would have like brackets and everything. Like it was like once a month, we'd have these battles and like it was, it got to be a really big thing like people would skip lunch to come watch the battles and things like that or skip class to come watch the battles at our lunchtime and um one day we were having alumni day where all the you know graduated people would come back and walk around the school talk to different classes and things like that and it just so happens that manifest who was part of greenhouse him and uh blueprint they went to school together at wittenberg he happened to be there and I made sure to schedule the battle on alumni day because the school was always, you know, super busy that day. And I wanted it to be, you know, a big thing. So and he happened to see me battle and ended up talking to me after the battle and um, offered me a show to come down to the college to perform. And that oh, and wow. that's when I originally met Blueprint at that show. And I was probably a junior in high school at that time. Um, so, you know, that's when I met him and, you know, was amazed at watching them perform like the early greenhouse stuff that was never released, you know, that they weren't recording and things like that. Shit was so amazing. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, after that, we didn't really talk. Um, and once I decided to go to Cincinnati for school, um, I found out that Blueprint actually lived in Cincinnati. So, you know, and this time, you know, Dose One was in Cincinnati. Why? We all went to school together, and that's when we did the Green Think Project. Um, I did the things with them um, during that time and got really close to Dose. Um, and, you know, Blueprint lived in Cincinnati. So what I would do, you know, unbeknownst to my mother, I would not go to class and go over to Blueprint's house to record my album. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, in my freshman year in college, that's when I recorded Unforeseen Shadows. 
And from there, it's pretty much history. You know, from there, you know, Waitlist started that year as well. That's when we released the Up to Speed EP, the Greenhouse EP, and Unforeseen Shadows that same year. Um, in I think it was ninety. We actually released it in ninety nine on tape. And in 2000, we we re-released it on CD in 2000, and that's when we had the uh, release party here when I first met Aesop Rock and Cannibal Ox and all of the Adams family. They actually came to Columbus and did that show with us. And it's like it's like a, a legendary show here in Columbus. Like it was it was us, Megahertz, and then we had Aesop Rock and all of the Adams family. And that was before, like, it was before Float. It was before Cold Vein, all of that. Man. Um, and it was, it's like one of the legendary shows that a lot of cats still talk about here in Columbus. And, you know, from there, the rest is history, man. That's awesome, man. So to back up a sec, you mentioned Third Eye playing shows in high school years. Did you guys ever put out a tape or anything with that group? No, we didn't. Um, well, me and Rashad, the producer, um, we did we did an album because we were a group like we had groups within the crew, and um, we yeah. did, we were a group called Soul Cipher, and I actually have the album. Um, it's probably like maybe fourteen songs that we did together, um, but we never released it. Um, so yeah, oh. we never released anything. Like we just did shows, and we were just popular in our high schools, so our shows were always packed. Um, but but yeah, yeah, we never we never actually released any material. Um, I mean, we actually had the opportunity to um, you know possibly get signed by you know some major labels were actually looking at us because they were looking at Rashad as an R and B singer, and you know he kind of brought the crew with him, and you know That's we cool. had some opportunity, but you know we kind of it just things just didn't work out, you know, but um. Yeah, you know, it was it was a big time in in um in high school for me musically. You know, I actually like went to Atlanta and hung out with so so deaf people. It went to Jermaine Dupree's birthday party like when I was 18 years old. <laughs> I was hanging out, you know, hanging <laughs> nice. out with Mace and things, you know, so it was like it was crazy. It was wild. It was a wild <laughs> time. Definitely a wild time. All right, so you dropped the uh, you dropped the first LP, and Waitlist is formed, and you're just playing uh, regional shows at that point. Because I want to say you told me your first tour was actually after the second record. Yeah, my first like nationwide tour was after the second record. Um, when we dropped the Unforeseen and um, the Greenhouse record, we were doing more regional stuff. Uh, we went, you know, did shows in Chicago, mainly around Ohio, though. Uh, we didn't really venture outside of Ohio that heavy, but we would do these weightless invasion tours where we would tour, basically hit every major city in Ohio. And um, and we would do those like twice a year. And that's kind of how we started nice. to build our buzz. And then, you know, we ventured out because we were cool with um, Kevin Beecham, who ran the time Ta travel radio show in Chicago. Yeah. So, you know, he he would bring us out to Chicago and other acts would bring us out there um, because, you know, he played our, our music and was, you know, a fan of ours. So Chicago was probably the first place that we really went outside of Ohio to do a lot of shows. And we also would go out to New York here and there um, because Blueprint and Cryptic One from the Adams Family were really cool. So we would go out there every now and then. And then, you know, once, once we got 
because all of because Ribe Sayers and Waitlist both were formed the same year. And, you know, all of us really got cool around the Scribble Jam times because um, Dose introduced all of us to Slug and Idea and, you know, all of those cats. So around that time, you know, after Got Lyrics came out, you know, Idea contacted me and asked if I wanted to go out on the road with them. And that was my first tour. I actually went on tour, dropped my second album and had my first child all in the same month. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So so imagine that. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, man. Yeah. So are you at this time, were you still throwing battles? And I mean, you mentioned going to Scribble Jam with with, you know, Rhyme Sayers and Weightless teams. And I mean, are you are you still getting up on stage and flexing like that? <laughs> or are you more about writing songs at that? point? I was more writing songs about, at that point because like I was I was always pretty good when I was younger at coming off the top and battling and things like that. Um, I actually won, when I was 16, I won the, we have a hip hop expo this year uh, or in Columbus um, every year. And I won that when I was 16. Nice. You know, I was battling at a younger age, but once I started making records, I got more out of practice and then seeing, you know, the ideas of the world and, um, you know, all the cats that were battling, knowing that, you know, I couldn't really compete, you know, like I, I, I knew I knew my place. You know what I'm saying? Like there's there's actually one um, one battle that I did. It was early Scribble Jam. It was like it was one of the first Scribble Jams I went to and I did participate in the battle. Um, and me and Idea ended up in the finals battle at each other. And there's like a tape of it. Oh, yeah, there's really? like a tape of it. I know that. um I believe Buck sixty five had the original tape. I don't. I have no idea where that tape is at this point. But um, because when I was in college, I did. There was a radio show that they had, and we would have battles up there, and I would do that. Like while I was in college, you know, recording my album, I would still do the battle thing here and there. And I remember when they set this battle up because they knew what I did could do, and I had roasted so many cats on that radio show. They purposely put me an idea at opposite ends of the bracket so we could <laughs> so we could meet in the fight they knew it was gonna yeah, they happen knew what was gonna happen and we ended up meeting in the finals and i think we ended up going like eight or nine rounds because the crowd couldn't decide who won um <laughs> and he ended up ed that's he ended awesome. up edging me out but yeah it was it was a good time that's awesome man so fast forward and you're you're out on the road promoting your second record I mean, you're still touring to this day, so that that must have been a another kind of formative experience for you. Oh yeah, man, being out being out on the road and being in front of fans from all over the country that love your music and listen to your music and are in solidarity with you with your your conversation and the topics and the content that you you come up with is very inspiring, very humbling, and it's also addictive, man. Like just being out there and enjoying yourself in that fashion and doing something you love, you know, it's something that, that can't be bought. You know, it's, it's a, it's probably the, one of the greatest experiences just touring in general that I, I have in my life that I, I love, you know, and going on that first tour was just, just amazing. I mean, I was gone for about two months, I believe. And just being out there, I was missing my family, of course, you know, but just experiencing all of that was something that I'll never forget. Yeah, it's crazy how 
you know, you mentioned just those those interactions every day and how good that can feel. I always say the worst part of tour is going back to work when you get home. Yes, <laughs> you know, definitely. You're there's such there's such a contrast between you know all these people who are inspired by the same kind of stuff as you and you you can you can connect on that level and have these real conversations every single day meeting new people yeah and they're inspired by you you know like that's yeah that's one of the coolest things and one of the hardest things to to leave on the road totally especially when you have to go back to a regular job where you know you're an underling you know what i mean <laughs> yep. so you know it's not yep, definitely like that, you know where I was two nights exactly. ago? Exactly. <laughs> you know, like that reverence is completely gone. The homesick factor is real too, as you mentioned. You know, it's it's a it's a balance, yeah. you know? Like you you wanna you wanna go out and, and get that high on stage and I mean you make the record so people can hear it. You wanna you wanna sell the record right. and bring it to right. people, you know. But it's also uh definitely hard to balance. With a regular life. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, having chill, which is one of the reasons why after Celestial Clockwork came out, I took a, a took a four-year break. Um, I took a four-year hiatus from putting records out and touring because on the tour that I went on um, right after the album came out, my third son was born and I was on the road. And, yeah. you know, that really, that really, you know, shook me. And also, you know, my, my wife wasn't too appreciative of that <laughs> either. It sucked because I was kind of at my peak at that point. And I, you know, I was just, I was being offered um, to get a booking agent at that time because I didn't have one. I was just kind of going, you know, when I would get called to go on the road, I would go. But, you know, I got offered a booking agent, you know, things were really picking up and, I had to make a decision and I had to choose between my family and my music. And, you know, I chose my family um, and I didn't put another record out for four years until Diabolical Fun came out in 2009. That's a real decision that a lot of us make. And I think it's great that you were able to prioritize them and find a way to then come back and and continue building your body of work because you know a lot of people when they have life changes like that it's it's hard for them to figure out how to come back to music right and the thing is like during that time i was always writing you know i was still writing i was never and i i wrote some really good stuff during that time some of which has never been released and probably will be released at some point because i still have the songs um but you know i i just wasn't that just wasn't where my priorities were at the time as far as, you know, really putting the music out and getting on the road. Even though I missed it, you know, I had to make sure that my family was safe and secure and that I was here and I wasn't missing important things and missing birthdays and, you know, missing all that stuff, especially because my children were young at that time, you know, like extremely young, like, you know, maybe three, four or five years old. Yeah, that's that's important time. Right. You know, and I didn't want them to not know who I was. You know, I didn't want to be this guy that, you know, hops in and I'm home for a few months and then I'm on the road for a few months and I'm home for a few months and them not really get to know who their father was, you know. And now that my children are older, they completely understand. Um, and it's not it's not as big of an issue, um, you know, for me to leave and be gone because they know why I'm gone. They know that I'm working, basically. Um, and 
actually they they're excited about it. They enjoy telling their friends that their dad is a rapper and he's out on tour. You know, they, that's awesome. They get a kick out of that. So after Diabolical Fun, are you hitting the road again, getting back into the grind at that point, or was that not till Capture the Sun? Um, well, after Diabolical Fun, I did do a tour. Um, I did about I think about thirty five days on the road after Diabolical Fun um, because we. We did a lot with that record. I mean, that record, you know, I was on BET. I was on I was on BET's website. I was on, you know, like we had a really good publicist for that record. Um, and yeah, I hit the that, road and th- it was... That was through that was through Waitlist? Yeah, we put it out on Waitlist um, and, um, you know, we sunk some good money into it. Um, and, you know, just because it was like my comeback record, you know. So, yeah. And, and yeah, I hit the road and, you know, enjoyed that and... Um, you know, kind of took another break. I think that was really the last major. Well, no, after that, um, after we did Capture the Sun, I went out on tour with Blueprint um, and we did the Greenhouse tour together. Well, actually, I'm sorry. That's wrong. The last major tour I did was. Well, I know you and Carnage did that one. Yeah, that's what I was. I, yeah, that's what I was saying, about to say. Um, yeah, Carnage is that's the, actually the last major tour that I did. We did like 25 shows in 25 days or some some crazy like we were road warriors yeah. on that tour. Yeah, that was that was pretty grueling. I remember I was like yeah, I was on two of those those dates and uh, you guys were telling me just how non-stop it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy, it's, man. It's hard cuz you you like you don't want to have days off when you're touring necessarily cuz you don't want to lose money. You don't want to be somewhere where you're spending money. But at the same time, it's pretty exhausting. Yeah, it's very, I mean, it's work, you know, like a lot of people don't really understand that. Yeah, we're artists. Yeah, we enjoy doing what we do. We have so much fun, you know, the, the drinks and, you know, the partying and the fans, all that is all cool. But at the end of the day, we're still working, you know, like when, when we're up on that stage for that half hour, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, hour, whatever it is. You know, like that sweat is real. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we're really, well, yeah, yeah, we're working. You know, and, and they don't they don't necessarily see all that goes into it. They just see the finished product when you're on stage, but they don't see all the planning. They don't see all the practicing that you do. They don't see, you know, all the all the planning that goes into getting your merch right and all that. Like it's it's definitely real real work. Yeah, the six hours of driving and sleeping on somebody's floor, you know, that's right. <laughs> that's most of your day, you know, is is the travel and finding a place to stay that's not going to break the bank and finding some food that's not going to give you a stomachache that you can afford. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, right, right. You know, all that shit. It's like uh, you, you definitely get that reaction, though, when you're like, yeah, I'm going on tour again next week. Like, oh. It's so great you're gonna be I'm like no i'm not selling out stadiums man like yeah this is this is taking it to work yeah definitely definitely like when you're when you're out on the road like do you eat pretty well do you try to at least i usually spend about 15 bucks a day on on food so i i'll have like my juice shake in the morning and granola bars or, or you know snack type things and then i'll try to eat you know, one real good meal before we go to the venue so I can kind of digest that before the show. But yeah, I, I try to manage my uh, my budget so I can actually make some money. Yeah, me too. I try to do the same. Um, like one of the things that I learned early on, because 
I was eating so unhealthy out on the road. And I would always yeah. I would always get sick. Like it, it was it never failed. Like at some point I would get super sick and I would have to like, you know, drink four or five shots of whiskey before I went on stage just to clear my sinuses. You know what I mean? Ooh. <laughs> and um, you know, once I started like once Blueprint actually started getting on his healthy kick and once he stopped drinking and things like that, like touring with him kind of showed me better ways to at least manage my food intake, you know, buying apples and going to the grocery store and actually getting fruit and getting cold cuts just for, you know, to have for snacks and things of that nature. And, you know, eating that one good meal, but not nothing too heavy, not nothing, you know, too crazy as far as, you know. And so I tried my best. I probably spend about maybe $20 a day just on food and things like that. But I try to, you know, like go to the grocery store and buy snacks that way and so i can have my granola bars and my fruit and you know my nuts and things like that but it's hard to, yeah it's, yeah abilities abilities got me in the habit of that where you know every day we would go to he's he's like all right where's the whole foods you know type it in the gps right every morning and uh we would all go actually have something decent to start the day i mean like you said you walk around feeling like crap <laughs> when you just eat drive-throughs all the time you know right but uh you know i'm i'm a straight edge like punk dude so uh, you know i don't i don't drink or do any drugs or anything and so uh i i definitely understand the the sober tour lifestyle more than the other kind yeah i mean and it's and it because i do drink here and there like not like i did in the early days in the early days we were stupid Uh, (laughs) but yeah yeah we would i mean we would drink like we would have at least three or four shots before doors open. You know what I mean? I mean, we were, Man. we would drink for real. Um, and, you know, just getting older and understanding my body, because my body can't really take that. And especially if you got another show the next day, waking up with a hangover is not the cool thing. You know, like it, it sucks. So, yeah, if you got to drive all day or, or even, actually, I, I like driving. I think just being in the van all day is worse. Because you're not distracted by the the road, right? You know, right? Yeah. So you know, I I try now to you know have a few drinks, um, and but I make sure I balance it out with eating better. I eat better on the road than I do at home sometimes, just because I'm more cognizant of the effects that being on the road has on my body, and making sure that I try to put the right things in my body to keep my energy up and not feel sluggish and not feel like crap, you know, every day. Yeah, because you got to be able to deliver at the end of the day, and usually that doesn't come till twelve thirty or something at, <laughs> at night. Right. Yeah, it's definitely a a different mindset than than just grabbing a meal at home. But um, so I want to I want to talk about the uh, capture the sun era a little bit. I think that that it seems like a turning point in the way that the last few producers you've worked with. Um, you'll make some music and find your groove and then end up putting out like an EP that leads up to the full length. Right. And you've done that with the last, you know, with, with Blockhead and with Intellectual and now with the Lucid Logic Project, um, all of them. Is that just, I mean, is that a calculated thing? Like we're going to do this little thing to 
promote what's coming or is it going, wow, we just have so many good songs, you know, this is going to be the album, but what do we do with these other songs? I mean, what what is your uh, your process like for that? Well, for the 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 Blockhead project, the Capture the Sun album, that was the first time that I had ever really just went into the studio and said, okay, we're going to do as many songs as possible and pick the good ones, okay? Um, yeah. And that was the original thought because we ended up doing maybe like 42 songs all together. Jesus. And we had so many good songs that I was thinking like, okay, so I have all of these songs and I really wanted to get signed. Like I really wanted a label to put the album out. So I was like, okay, so what I'll do is I'll create th- you know, three EPs and use those to build up momentum and build up anticipation for the album. And I mean, and so I had like a maybe year to year and a half campaign for the Capture the Sun record. You know, with putting out those. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And I mean, I, I basically, when I, you know, did what I had set out to do, it, it ended up getting picked up um, by Man Bites Dog. But it wasn't calculated until we were in the process of recording. And once I got to about maybe 20 songs, I was like, okay, I have a lot of good songs now that I could make an album out of. But I was like, let's just keep going and see what we come up with, you know? And, once I got to that 20 song mark, I was like, okay, I can just put out EPs and use those as, you know, building blocks towards the record. And, you know, since then, I've just kind of used that model just to give people a taste of, you know, what the music is going to sound like and give people a taste of, you know, where I'm going with the next project and get them, you know, get some anticipation growing for the next project. Um and I mean, the thing is with um, with intellectual, we actually, you know, did the something in the water EP just as a one off. We didn't even plan on doing an album necessarily. And we did the something in the water EP and really enjoyed working together. And he continued to send me beats after we did that project. You know, I think we did probably maybe about 17 or 18 songs for the man who thinks with his own mind album. And, you know, pick the best ones out of there. The other songs, I think I've, I'm, I might have used some of the lyrics for other things and things of that nature. Um, and with the Lucid Logic album, we actually had the album finished before we did the EP. The EP, we did that separate from the album. So it, oh. so that was a, just a different thing because we just wanted to put something out um, to give people an idea of what our stuff is kind of going to sound like, but the EP is still completely different than the album because <laughs> we just, you know, we have fun making music together and creating new sounds and things. So, you know, people who who heard the EP, when they hear the album, they probably won't even correlate the two as being kind of in the same vein, but it's still us. So, yeah, it was just a fun, fun idea, but I think I'm going to continue that model because I like that model. It's cool because then you're not, um, you know, the way I see it, if you are investing in a song enough to see it through to completion, you know, you've, you've put your heart into it and you don't want it to just rot away on your hard drive, you know, right? even if it didn't make the album, you know, so I, th- I think that's a really cool way to do that because the, the real fans want to want to get everything you've got to offer. And um, I I think that's a cool way to do it. Now, 
I think we should talk about the new album since uh do you have a release date for it yet? Um not a date. We're looking at we're looking at May, but we don't have a exact date yet. Okay, cool. Well, uh yeah, I got my my first taste of it today. Um couple standout tracks right away. You told uh, a story about your younger brother? Yeah. Do you want to talk about that track at all? That's that was a really powerful song. Yeah, um it's called Dear Alante, and um, it's actually, I learned uh, maybe, I want to say maybe three or four years ago, that I had a brother, um, my biological father had another son that I hadn't met, and I didn't even, wow. you know, and I didn't, and I still haven't met him, um, actually. And for a long time, because, you know, I grew up without my biological father, I, I grew up with a stepfather, and I didn't and still don't to this day have a great relationship with him. But when I did find out that I had a brother and basically that the same issues that I was having, you know, with my father not being there could have been the same issues that he was having. And the thing is, he's, you know, about the same age as my oldest son, actually. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, for a long time, I was very um, opposed to even acknowledging it because I had so much anger in my heart just towards my father and my wife being the type of woman that she is kind of, you know, softened me up to wanting to find out who my brother was and, you know, maybe be a big brother to him, you know, not even knowing if he knows that I exist, you know, and in the process of my wife kind of softening my heart and, you know, making me think about some things more, I kind of pin that you know, it's more like a letter to him just about, you know, the type of brother that I want to be to him and letting him know, you know, kind of the pitfalls and, you know, things about life that he may not know because my father wasn't there in his life. Um, so, you know, I really I really wanted to do that just in case, you know, he heard it to let him know that no matter what he may think or if he even knows of me, the fact that I wasn't around and, you know, knowing why, but just knowing that, you know, I still love him and I still consider him my brother. Yeah, I think that that really comes comes through in the song. You know, it's it's all spoken from the heart. And as a stepchild with estranged half siblings, it caught my attention right away. So right. I really connected with that one. And also with Stay the Course, I thought that was a, a real... Uh, inspirational track yeah I, I mean with with a lot of my music i try to pull from um personal experience as well as the experiences of people around me and you know i knew a lot of people growing up that were in those positions in that story i mean um just to give a little background it's basically a story two stories um one about a young boy that grows up in a household with his mother and father but they're struggling to um, you know, pay bills and take care of things. And his father didn't have a great education, but he sees that education is the way to get him out of, you know, the place that he's in and not become like his parents. Um, and then there's a story about a girl that's an artist and her mother is a single parent um, working, you know, multiple jobs to make sure that they are taken care of. And, you know, I knew a lot of people that were in those positions. And even at times, you know, growing up, not in the best neighborhood and not around the best people, I had to have that mindset as well to 
make sure that I stayed the course and made sure that I kept my eye on the prize of, you know, becoming better than my surroundings, becoming better than what my situation was. So, you know, that's one of the things that I try to do with my music is, you know, teach some lessons and give some inspiration and let people know that, you know, things might not look all that great now, but if you continue to work and continue to do things that point you in a direction of success, you'll get there eventually, but it does just take some work. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a great message. It's something that, I mean, it's the reason why I enjoy guys like you in print. I look up to what you guys have done, and I, I appreciate, you know, in some small way being a part of the same scene, and I can I can listen to you guys and and be reminded, like, yeah, I'm on the right track, you know? Yeah keep doing that shit and i i really get something out of that um i uh, before we wrap up wanted to ask i was speaking to brady from crush kill okay. today okay i know he's a fan of yours and i i said hey i'm gonna be talking with the logic you know is is there anything you'd be interested to hear about and he said he was wondering how you got started making your own beats since that's a that's a new endeavor for you yeah. Um, well, it's something that I've always wanted to do. Um, I was just intimidated by the equipment because it just looks so complicated. <laughs> like it, it, this, yeah. just watching people work on the MPC look like, you know, because they would move so fast. But it's like, how the hell are you doing that with that machine? You know, and I was just intimidated by the the machinery but i was always a person that you know listened to records and would always find samples and just things like that so i always had a good ear for beats i always had a good ear for samples and things like that and um always just wanted to make make beats so you know now that we have a lot more technology and things are a little simpler um i was just thinking like you know cuz eventually like one of my biggest goals in hip hop was to produce well what what I said at the time was you know the last album that I ever put out I want to produce it and that was like one of my ultimate goals and you know in the last I think last year I was out on um doing a couple shows with uh DJ Bombay who's a producer and um DJ here in Columbus and um he always brings his you know equipment with him and he uses Ableton and um, we were in the hotel room one night and he was just, you know, on his computer making beats. And I was like, yo, can you show me, you know, how to how to do that? You know, so he kind of gave me a short tutorial about just, you know, where to put the samples and how to chop stuff and things like that. And it was really short, but I made my first beat actually with him on his um, equipment. And it was like really weird and, you know, actually kind of cool, but super weird. And after I did that with him. Once I came home, I was like, okay, I'm going to start making beats, you know? And so what I did, what I did was I just started kind of, because I didn't have a lot of records at the time and I didn't have a record player. So what I was doing, I would go to YouTube and I'd find things that I wanted to sample and record them. And I was doing it the super hard way um, because I use Cubase to do all my vocals when I record. So I would, you know, sampled the entire I would basically record the entire song and put it into Cubase and chop it up by hand. Um 
and just started started making beats that way. And I made like four or five um, through Cubase, and then I um, I found um, F. So you're physically editing those those wave files on the screen yes. and splicing them with the mouse, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the only beats I've made, the only beats I've ever made, I've done that way too, because I I. I don't know the hardware either. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's very, it was very tedious doing it that way, you know, but I just kind of looked at the files like vocals, you know, that's what, like in my head, I was like, okay, this is how I edit vocals. So I can use those same principles to edit the samples to put together something. And I was finding drum breaks and things like that. Like I was just downloading sample packs um, of drum breaks and things like that online. And um, then I got FL Studio um, most people know it's Fruity Loops, um, and that's the main DAW that I use now. And got me a MIDI controller, bought me a um, turntable, and it's been full steam ahead since then. I've made probably about fifty beats altogether in my life. Nice, yeah. I, I remember a while back you you uh, you sent me one of them to listen to, and I was like, "Damn, this is great." I was like can I ask him for this or is he going to use it? <laughs> and like, and like right after that, you, uh, you were like, yeah, dude, I'm already halfway done with the song. I'm like, that answers my question. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm having fun with it. And for a while, like when I first started, it took me a few months to even get comfortable enough with my own beats to write to them. Um, cause it was just kind of weird. Like, yes, it was so weird. Yes. That, that's totally something that I've never heard anyone say, but whenever I've made my own beats, it's like, you are used to analyzing it you're building it you're you're thinking about the mix and the and the phrasing of everything and then i couldn't hear it objectively to write over right it. you know i've written songs that are all the instruments ground up but for some reason doing it that way i was like obsessed over every detail because of the way you have to edit them i had to like put it down and come back to it or i couldn't write a rhyme over right it. right and it's just like at this point i've done probably about nine songs for my solo record that I'm producing. Wow. And so like, I'm, I'm really working on that and getting like, now that I'm more comfortable writing to my own production, whenever I make a beat and I think like, okay, is this something for me? Is this something not for me? Um, but it's a really cool experience being in full control of my sound. It's something that I've never experienced until now. And it's something that, I'm finding extremely fun and extremely freeing because I don't have to conform to what, you know, this producer or that producer makes, even though they make incredible beats, I get to create my own soundscape, you know, and, you know, which is one of the reasons why the first thing that I did, I actually have an instrumental EP that I produced and that's the first thing that I did. And I did like maybe two songs on it, like vocals, but, that was the first thing that I did because I wanted to really like create a soundscape because I had never done that before, you know, and now creating my own beats and everything like I get to make exactly what I want to make. You know, I can make it sound exactly how I want it to sound. I can make that snare, you know, echo out if I want. I can put this drop here and that drop there. And, you know, like it's it's really cool to be in that much control, you know, of your own of your own sound. It's something that. You know, I I don't think I'll ever get tired of. Yeah, there's a there's a true freedom in producing your own work, and you tracked your own vocals for years now. You're making your own beats now. I 
I believe you directed your last video too, right? Yeah, I directed I directed a video yeah. for um, Solace for um, the man who thinks with his own mind. So I'm trying to, you know, be a renaissance man here. Yeah, man. I th- I think that in in this era, being self sufficient is everything. You know, I think it's invaluable for especially as prolific as you are and as I am. If if you don't want to be impeded by schedules and personality conflicts or whatever, you know, I think it's it's really liberating to just be able to stand up, walk in the other room and go, I have an idea. Let's make this right now. Right. You know, it's it's pretty great. Yeah, it's very it's it's very freeing. I mean it's 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 the best. It's the best. Cause I mean I don't have to, you know, wait for instrumentals to come. Yo, send me some beats. Yeah, I've been waiting for these beats for a week. And writing, you know, not writing to beats sometimes gets tedious because when you get the beats, then the tempo isn't right and you know what I mean? <laughs> like so yep. so it's 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 a different it's a whole nother animal. But it also, you know, will put me under a little more scrutiny as well because okay, now I have this freedom. Am I using it in a way that is dope? You know, am I making dope beats? Am I making still making dope music? And I think, you know, it's gotten me to a point now where the stuff that I am making and the stuff that I'm recording to, I think is really, really good and really, you know, different and definitely a progressive, you know, move as far as my music goes. So I'm really excited to share that with people. Um, Hopefully early next year, I'll be putting that out. Awesome, man. Well, look forward to that. And uh, and the fans will be looking forward to Lucid Logic. I thank you for doing the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. All right, that is our show. If you want to hear more from Elogic, he was actually a guest on my 10th episode, our tribute to Idea. We had little 5 to 10 minute interviews with a bunch of different artists, including Carnage, Blueprint, MERS, and of course Elogic. So if you want to hear more from him, go scroll on back through the feed, or you can go to the website take 92 dot libsyn that's l-i-b-s-y-n dot com and leave you with a new track from lucid logic yeah lucid logic snatch your head a little bit Sorry. 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 This is only for the cool kids. Now swing through and catch the vibe while I'm zoning No need to worry about this rapish, we own it Unconventional visuals cripple my opponents Insisting you take some sustenance, would you go ahead, roll it Divide and conquer, pillage and villages, leaving quotients Idiot savants, a lot of going through the motions Now black faces, the mind state of minstrel show devotion No education, waiting on some type of magic potion Fairy dust ain't gonna help you where you going Whatever direction the wind blowing Your house of cards will topple or some happy and you know it Clap your hands and take a stand in the moment Hope to edify lives as I stand for a moment Speaking dreamscapes, you'll understand in a moment Or maybe not, the plot thickens, listen for your moment I come to you with love, keep going, should be the slogan This music is a weapon, every step is part of growing
there is a lack of expansion in the things that we say no innovative creative reference evident in radio play i know they want to keep us naive and dormant these days and we don't try to change compliant slaves that bathe in airwaves defiance forming feet completely zombified and afraid and we're okay with it insist it's only music they play but i say it's the voice of god a demon speaking today so watch the choices you make i'm saying saving fakes ain't always prime directive i'm selected just because of grace and it's a blessing to be in this place simply in my case we gotta do better i'll never get to walk through the gates where we progress see the next generations at stake just give them something to look forward to besides getting cake yeah i want money too for god's sake but it's not top my honey do now look at you with nothing to say safe safe even great skies can't hide the sun and all of its rays people talking fake i'm taking time to sharpen my blade prepare for battle never rattle while you're lost in the days i bleed intelligence few relevance you're lost in the face of trying to be the next so and so to blow it's okay i'll just put in work to be the first meal display one of a kind of rhyme but understand when silence is brave i don't rely on the same i'd raise my mind for the change